Hello and welcome to today's episode. I will be speaking to Dr. Joe Dusseldorp on integrated prosthetics and reconstruction at Chris O'Brien Lifehouse using 3D printing and virtual surgical planning to improve outcomes after head and neck cancer surgery. Dr. Dusseldorp, tell us about yourself. Hi, David. Yeah, so my name is Dr. Joe Dusseldorp. I'm a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Uh, focused at the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse uh, in Camperdown, Sydney, Australia. And uh, yeah, essentially I'm a, a reconstructive plastic surgeon. What that means is I focus on treating some of the difficult problems, particularly after cancer surgery. And that can be for the head and neck, but also for the rest of the body, particularly after breast cancer as well. This is the clinical takeaway from HealthEd, interviewing leading medical experts on important topics that can positively impact the way you practice. Here's your host and medical educator, Dr. David Lim. Joe, we're looking at head and neck uh, cancer surgery today, and we're looking at, uh, if you like, the prosthetics and reconstruction post-surgery. Can you tell us what is currently happening and what are some of the issues and what's new? Absolutely, yeah. So it's a, it's a really wonderful time um, for reconstructive surgery at the moment. We have a lot of uh, technology that is starting to infiltrate modern medicine. And so we are trying to help to clinically translate some of these, these advancements uh, to better treat our patients. And so really, I mean, the state of the art care for, for head and neck cancer is quite advanced, even, even without some of these uh, more, more modern practices. So we are, we're currently able to take complex defects of the head and neck that may be cancers involving uh, skin and soft tissue even bone and muscle, and to be able to reconstruct these tissues using a tissue transfer from other parts of the body. And this is a, a technique known as free flap surgery, and that's been around since you know, perhaps the, the turn of the century. You know, really in, in, in earnest, we started to do free flap surgery, so it's about 25 years old. Um, but even in the, in the modern era, we've, we've noticed that there, there's been an analog approach, I would say, to to doing this type of surgery and a certain amount of artistry involved in being able to reconstruct these tissues freehand. <laughs> and, and really what technology enables is, is the ability to be more digital about the way in which we, we plan these procedures and the way in which we perform the procedures, which leads to a standardized outcome that is then um, able to, to better integrate the person's own function than, than I may have been just, you know, with my eyeball measurements of things. And so what that really means is that we are using things such as virtual surgery, um, virtual, virtual surgical planning, um, which takes a digital version of the patient's anatomy. So either via a CT scan or, or an optical scan of the, of the head, let's say, and then uh, we plan the surgery in a digital world. So using um, 3D technology, we look at where we want to make incisions and, and, and cut the bones, for example, of let's say the jawbone. And then we plan, okay, well, what is exactly the tissue we need to use to then replace that? And, uh, and so we can then actually design cutting jig, which is a, a plastic piece of material that we can put onto a bone. And it tells exactly where and at what angle uh, to make a bone cut or it has a little hole which tells us where to make a drill. And then we can put the screw in exactly the right position. So, you know, it really is a fantastic time to have these services available to us. You know, it, we need people who are trained in how to do that. I can't do that myself. So I have a team 
um, of uh, digital design engineers who are biomedical engineers that will that work in our unit for on a full-time basis and do this uh, um, pre-operative planning with us. And, uh, and then we also have the ability to then uh, 3D print some of these uh, plastic jigs, these uh, planning jigs to then take into the operating room in a sterile way and, and, and make those correct incisions. And really why it helps is it makes things faster. Um, so the surgeries are, are more efficient but also it makes our outcomes better. We've shown that it actually, we, we are more accurate. And what that means for a patient is that when we're treating the jaws, for example, it means that the, the jaws line up after surgery. You know, if we've had to put a, a denture in, let's say, the denture then fits in the, in the right place without needing modification. The patients can perhaps leave hospital with a denture, a temporary denture already in place, um, rather than having to wait months and months um, and perhaps never getting a denture, um, which was the, which often happened in the past after people had cancer surgery of the jaws, even if we did reconstruct the bone. So yeah, a more complete reconstruction, a more rapid pathway back to normal function. All of these things are, are being enabled by technology. I really enjoy the way you talk about analog versus digital. And what I'm seeing in my mind, of course, is a an artist, an individual artist in the, you know, the one who looks at the patient and and does the cuts and, and forms and shapes a particular thing as uh, opposed to what you're saying now, very standard outcome. We're just making sure everything's precise. So the word that comes in my mind is aesthetics versus function. That's interesting. Yeah, so plastic surgery in, in its original form really did, and, and one of our, our key um, sort of teachings is to consider form and function. Uh, form being the aesthetics that you mentioned, and function being and being the, the 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 sort of more paramount goal. Certainly, function should always trump form in in uh, in our hierarchy, but we should be considering both. And I think what's what's great is that we're um, really using these tools not just for function but also for form. We're looking at primarily you know making sure that the that the you know the the, the teeth line up, um, but we also want it to look excellent. And so that's, uh, that's you know, really uh, yeah, enabling both form and function to be optimized. It's uh, wonderful stuff. So as a patient, uh, I, I suspect there will be quite a wait between the first time you scan uh, my head and neck uh, for you all to sit down and design what needs to be done uh, before surgery. It used to be, it used to be quite a slow process, but our, our, our team meets regularly. Um, so we actually uh, meet more, you know, in some cases more frequently because we're doing this more often now. And so, yeah, it, it can be a couple of weeks, which is, you know, usually enough time, particularly if, if someone is having a cancer surgery, we often don't have a lot of time to wait. Um, sometimes these tumors are benign. And so we have a bit more time to do some, uh, some preoperative workup. And in those circumstances, we may actually go, you know, the most common bone that we use to reconstruct the, the, the jaws at the moment is the fibula bone in the leg. And so we may actually do a surgery on the leg where we where we preemptively put all our implants in that are going to house the, the, the dental implants in the leg before it's even been transferred to the mouth. And so the teeth are almost ready to go before the bones even transferred now. And that's that's uh, sort of been our standard of care for, for sort of non-urgent head and neck cancer patients that can wait a little longer for, for, me, for several years now. And so that's it's uh, yeah that's really quite a, a nice approach and, and often leads to quite um, yeah beautiful results. What about the radiotherapy? If a patient receives radiotherapy to the area, does it change what you do? 
Yeah, radiotherapy is of critical importance and a lot of head and neck cancer patients will need radiotherapy. So we, we consider it certainly if we can, the major issue where radiotherapy um, plays a role is in what's called osteoradionecrosis, which is where the radiotherapy actually damages the bone and, and, and fails that the bone fails to fuse. And also implants um, don't fail to fuse within the bone. So the, that sort of what's called um, osteointegration, where, where the, the metallic implant needs to fuse with, with the bone tissue. We've found that if you can get the bone healed, at least in the early stages of radiation or even before the radiation's begun, um, you have a much better chance of retaining those implants. Mm -hmm. If you try and go in a long time after the bone's been irradiated, it's very likely that the, 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 the implant will be lost or, or, or become loose um, with wearing over denture. So that's where we try and, by, by doing this planning upfront, um, we have a better success rate with um, retaining implants, and that leads to a better success rate with having dentally rehabilitated smiles. How long have you been doing this new form of surgery? So the, the process has been going on a, a lot longer than just me. There's a big team of, of surgeons who have, uh, have um, made this work possible. I can't uh, help but mention Dr. The Professor Jonathan Clark, who's the leader of our unit in that regard, uh, but certainly a number of other. I think there's about 15 other members of our team. Um, so I'm one of the team. I'm, the, I'm one of the plastic surgeons in the team. Um, but certainly the, I, um, I have other focuses um, within that. I would say that, um, you know, the, 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 this particular work we've been mainly discussing around sort of jaw rehabilitation has been developing over the last 10 years, I would say. Um, the work that I'm specialized in, in, in sort of in addition to this is using prosthetics for ear reconstruction, mm -hmm. um, which is when uh, ears uh, either don't, don't form in the first place from a congenital condition known as microtia, or they're lost to some kind of accident or from, from cancer sometimes as well. Um, and so we can use a similar type of 3D planning approach and 3D printing approach to actually take a mirror image of the contralateral ear and then print that a copy of that other ear, um, either in an implantable material, such as a, a, a material known as porous polyethylene, um, or as um, an externally worn prosthesis in a silicon form, which is attached via sort of metallic studs. There's a solution for every problem. And I think that's the good news here is that we can use these techniques to optimize uh, function in, in a variety of different ways um, and give people that feeling of wholeness that they, that they may have lost with a, with a cancer surgery that's taken away part of their anatomy. Um, you know, we do this for noses, we do this for eyes, um, parts of the skull and, uh, and, and then the jaws and ears, as I've mentioned. That's remarkable. How accessible is this technology? It is reasonably accessible, I would say, within tertiary centres. I think, uh, you know, obviously, I think it, you need people that are well-trained. You need certainly um, a number of different members of the multidisciplinary team to be able to make this possible. So I think, uh, but most, most um, centers would have access to that. A lot of the medical device companies that help with the actual implantable components have engineers that for, for hospitals that don't have in-house biomedical engineers, they would provide that service um, as part of, as part of the, the, you know, the implant. So it is, um, it is available, but it certainly it is, it's a highly specialized um, skill set. So I think it is worthwhile going to units that have a lot of experience with it to begin with. What centres in Sydney and what about the regional centres, Joe? Yeah, so I work at the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse and we've certainly created um, a unit that, that really specialises in this and has a number of different clinicians. But I'm, I know that clinicians in, in other major teaching hospitals, RPA, uh, Prince of Wales, Ron Shaw, Westmead, um, you know, the, the, all of the major teaching hospitals 
will have uh, a degree of skill sets with, with, regards, with regards to some of these prosthetics. They maybe wouldn't offer the full complement, but I'm sure they, they could with enough training and enough interest. But yeah, I think uh, what's, what makes our unit a bit unique is, is I guess, the, the full breadth um, of covering really the whole body and having an in-house anaplastologist as well. I mentioned that we do the silicon-made externally worn prostheses. These are very specialized and really little miniature works of art. Um, but we're using digitization there as well um, to try and improve the efficiency with which those those are made because they're, they're quite labor intensive. Um, but it's yeah, it's wonderful when when patients are able to have that type of um, that type of reconstruction because they you know it, it looks perfect. It really is very difficult to tell which you know which ear is which or or whether wow. it's a natural nose or not. And um, and and, it, and my favorite is when they make um, they make eyes that just look exactly like a normal eye you cannot tell the difference um, complete with all of the little flecks in the in the iris and all of these beautiful little um, nuances that make it look realistic and um yeah it's it's a pleasure to work with such dedicated people and and certainly sophie fleming is our anaplastologist and she's incredible and i suspect you can get the skin pigmentation and coloring just right yeah this the color is uh is you know she's constantly telling me things about learn, i'm learning all, always things about colors um, which I never knew before, and, and how they're mixed, and how the you know how you you, you complete you match a color. Quite an, it's quite a process, but it's uh, it's really beautiful, uh, yeah, to learn. It's not something we do discuss with our patients who are about to have significant uh, head and neck surgery. Oftentimes, getting the patient to the specialist is just good enough, and um, as we see, because some of the discussions about how much disfigurement and the need for prosthesis is beyond a GP's understanding. What sort of discussion do you think we should have with our patients before we refer them to centres such as yourselves? Yeah, I think, I think it's important for patients to have some knowledge before, before they come into the consultation about what reconstruction procedures are available. You know, and, and to be able to ask a question about what, what, would I, what will I be able to do afterwards? You know, will I will I be able to chew, you know, will I have all my teeth or will, will it be possible to have dental implants? You know, I think it often feels a bit overwhelming and, and a bit difficult to ask those questions in certain circumstances and you're just thankful to have the cancer surgery. But I think, you know, moving forward, you know, I think it's important to ask a lot of questions about the side effects of radiation um, and to be aware of those. You know, not that you're going to say no to radiation necessarily, but that can cause, you know, some, some pretty difficult functional impairments. And I think knowing that beforehand, you know, then you're armed, you know, with the, with the knowledge as opposed to finding out afterwards. It's always better, I think, to be informed rather than, you know, as, as, as a shock. Do you have web, uh, resources on your, on your website so that I could, for example, download and give it to my patients? Yeah, so the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse um, head and neck section of our website has a lot of that information. My own personal website is focused more on ear reconstruction, to be honest. But the uh, yeah, the uh, most of that head and neck stuff is is uh, available through that, and also there's the um, the head and neck cancer like survivorship website, um, which I can I, I can email you the link to as well. Mm. Um, it used to be called uh, Beyond Five, as in as in Beyond Five Years After. The, that they've recently changed the name to Head and Neck Cancer Australia, and they have a lot of resources for patients in that, facing that diagnosis. What are some of the comments you've heard from patients, Joe? Yeah, so the, the things that really stick in, in my mind are, you know, that just amazement that this type of thing is possible. You know, I think that's great to, um, to exceed people's expectations, you know, that's, uh, you know, to know that they can have uh, a nasal prosthesis that, that you know, looks uh, and uh, by all by all respects, like a nose, 
um, dental prosthesis that enable them to eat normally. I think, you know, for a lot of uh, the age group of patients that we treat, they have grandchildren and, you know, grandchildren don't, you know, they don't hold back. And so they say, you know, you look horrible, you know, if, you know, without, without the prosthesis on and they just say, look, I can, I can cuddle my grandchild again without them recoiling um, or, you know, just that feeling of closeness they're able to have with their loved ones again. I think that's probably the most meaningful part of it for me. Um, is just seeing people be able to sort of be integrated back into their their social network more completely and and live a, you know live their full lives again. Wow, that's just such a wonderful story, Joe. What about patients from regional Austra- uh, Australia being referred to you? If they come to Sydney, how much time do they have to spend in Sydney before surgery, and how much time after surgery, and how much will it cost? Sure. Yeah, no, this is available in the public system. So there's no charge for that. Obviously, patients with private insurance that um, decide to use that, there'll be out-of-pocket fees associated with that. Um, but the avail- the time frame, you know, the, it's usually a one to two week hospital admission for the surgery. Um, we can do some of the preoperative workup um, remotely. So we have, you know, sort of, I go to Dubbo, for example, and I know some of my other colleagues go to Port Macquarie and um, other places around and it's the south coast and so on so there's a lot of the specialists do some outreach work and so we try to limit the amount of meetings that need to take place in in the urban center but we do reserve the the um you know surgeries to be performed in in our you know state-of-the-art facility it's hard to you know kind of move the mountain if you know what i mean but uh we do yeah so the surgeries take place in in a major main facility in chris o'brien lifehouse in sydney um, and then, yeah, as far as the timing goes, a lot, a lot of the follow-ups can also be done in, in the regional centres as well. So we, are, we have a, you know, a program in place to try and make accessibility you know, less of an issue, less of a major barrier. And obviously, as you'd be aware, that there is um, funding for travel um, for patients who need to come to the city centres from the regional areas. Um, and so that, you know, we, we promote that and we you know, fully um, uh, try and encourage patients to use that, that funding stream. And uh, you know, just try and keep in close communication with the GPs in those areas to sort of make sure the patients are adequately fo- followed up as well. Quickly, uh, what sorts of conditions are, is it good for? And are there particular situations when it cannot be uh, provided? Head and neck cancer, you know, really any, any head and neck cancer that involves um, kind of a, a major tissue disruption. Some, sometimes we don't need prosthetics. You know, state-of-the-art plastic surgery also can use tissue-based solutions for some of these things. So, you know, moving uh, local flaps uh, and things like that might be more appropriate. And then, you know, the patients um, have a, a slightly higher degree of scarring in the local areas and things, but that can look very natural and it doesn't require a prosthesis. I think when um, we're talking about sort of complex three-dimensional structures, um, it become much, much more complex to try and do that with living tissue. And, and that's where sort of digital um, and prosthetics can, can come into play. Um, but I would say it's still worth a discussion in, in really any circumstance. It's always, I think, knowing what your options are um, is, is, is really the, the, the key here and sort of uh, being able to say, well, actually, this suits me better than another technology um, or, I, or I prefer to go with kind of a, a, simpler, a simpler treatment um, that maybe doesn't give me the full reconstruction of patients that always have that option. Um, so I would say that those are the, those are the kind of the key things that come to mind regarding that question. So, uh, for example, if I have a patient just diagnosed uh, and imaged with um, uh, what we suspect is a head and neck 
uh, cancer, the first port of call is in fact a referral to say Chris O'Brien, where the patient will be in fact just looked at by everybody rather than sending the patient first to an ENT specialist and then deciding to look at the plastic after. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So the traditional um, referral pattern still still holds. Um, you know, the, the primary um, head and neck cancer surgeon will will refer essentially on to the to the prosthetic clinic if the patient's suitable. You know, sometimes it's it's uh, it's not deemed suitable. The patient's not interested. And that, that's perfectly fine. But yeah, no, there's no there's no need for an additional referral from the GPs. It will just happen uh, in, in due course. And before I let you go, Joe, uh, what other parts of the body are you all looking at? Yeah, it's a fascinating time. I think probably the most exciting uh, new uh, piece of uh, advancement, I would say, is that we've finally got a, approval to do a, a clinical trial using 3D printed cartilage. So actually um, taking a biopsy of, of cartilage cells from a um, healthy ear, growing those in a, in a lab, and then uh, using them as a bioink to 3D print the shape of a, of a new cartilage ear for the other side. So that's uh, something that holds a lot of promise for um, nasal reconstruction or um, some augmentation of uh, chins or cheeks or skull bones and potentially joints as well. We've got a recent um, uh, MRFF grant along with Peter Chung in, in Melbourne um, looking at bone health as well as craniofacial deformities. Um, and so that's a really exciting program that we'll be rolling out over the next few years as well. So I think it's a great time for tissue engineering as well, which will which will kind of be that next step of, um, of uh, you know, not, not just looking at prosthetics and, and sort of um, uh, integrating with artificial tissues, but actually using your own tissues um, as the substrate for this digital technology. When do you think we will have it for turtle hip and knee replacement surgery? I don't have, I don't have a good sight on that one. I think what will happen more likely is that some kind of uh, a resurfacing kind of uh, technology that would potentially save uh, save you know, the osteoarthritic cartilage for a bit longer or something like that right. um, but uh, yeah I don't um, I, I'm hopeful that that would you know that would be a sort of a more regenerative strategy as opposed to a, a replacement strategy but yeah it's all it's a wide open field and of course so many people are interested in in uh, cracking that one that it would be fantastic for so many of our loved ones might probably all of us in, in, in due course. Joe, I always delight in hearing what's new when I speak to you. I, I just cannot get my head around how exciting this new technology is, especially for the patients and their families. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And that uh, keeps, uh, keeps me going, keeps me interested. And I, I do make the analogy that um, I kind of sometimes feel like Santa and that I get to be the guy that that hands the presents to all the, all the children, but I have all these elves working, you know, feverishly making the presents in the background. And I kind of see that as our biomedical industry. You know, there's so much effort going into making new medical devices and um, working on, um, you know, new research programs. And, uh, and, you know, it's a very privileged position that I sit in to try and translate some of those things into to put smiles on people's faces. So that's, well, you've got to say my congratulations to your team because it sounds like you're all doing a fabulous job. We're definitely uh, enjoying it and, uh, and trying to yeah, improve all the time. So I'll, I'll, I'll touch base in, uh, in another six to 12 months and, and let you know where we're up to. Look forward to it. And before you go, uh, any final messages to our listeners, Joe? Yeah, just to let them know that there's a revolution, I would say, in digital technology accessing and, and infiltrating our medical, medical specialties, uh, particularly in the field of head and neck cancer. Uh, where we're using digital planning and, and surgical processes to try and standardize outcomes. 
Um, and I think it's, uh, it's you know, really not, we, we really don't expect that anyone wouldn't be a candidate for it. Um, it just, uh, you know, with, with the appropriate planning and, and preparation, it should be able to improve, improve their outcomes with time. Fabulous. Always great to talk to you. You too, David. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free. You get CPD points and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.